A very warm welcome to the podcast to Mr. Gabriel Davies. How you doing, mate? Good, man. Thank you for having me. I'm going <laughs> to set the scene with a kind of a tropical setting in the hinterland of Les Bordens in Seigneurs in France, which is former home of yours and not, not too far where I currently live. So that's pumping. And we're having a pretty good day. It's been a good one. The surf has been awesome the last few days. Loads of swell, which is sort of been the ending of a, a super long amazing summer for little people little groms have had the best few weeks surfing down here so we finish on a good swell but august was amazing for the little people so beauty and um yeah a little bit we've got a little pan pipe moods going in the background some little people jumping in the pool and um it's a nice evening in southwest france but we're actually here to talk about the blue earth summit coming up on the 13th and 14th of october in bristol um, everyone's excited about it. There's a big buzz about the event. So a lot of speakers, a long list of kind of esteemed speakers, and you can count yourself among them, Gabe. <laughs> Looking forward to your talk. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a really good crew of people there. Um, it just seems like one of those opportunities to be in the room with some really interesting people, either as a listener, like I'd love to listen to all of the other speakers, of which there are some awesome people in the lineup, but, um, you know, I, to be sharing the stage with them is equally as impressive. Like I'm absolutely buzzing to, you know, share what knowledge I have on the surf world with a sort of Patagonia ethos, um, with the room really. And but also, I'm happy. I'm sure I'll come away from those two days with some like super inspiring, interesting views on the world. BlueEarthSummit.com. Um, well, let's get into it. Yeah, you, you, you just touched upon your role at Patagonia, which has been, you've been there for six or seven years. years. Seven years now. Um, how's all that been going? Obviously, that's, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big, a great job. It's, and, a, it's the dream that. job, like the dream company, this phenomenal company. So my role within the company is Ocean Marketing Manager. So that's looking after the, Euro- when we say o- oceans, we're just sort of European oceans, not, right. not, not the entire global oceans and i'll tag in like the north sea and you know a few seas as well as oceans so um yeah looking after just that basically just translates to like this the european surf business um but we want it to be more than just it's not about selling wetsuits and t-shirts to surf shops it's more about like how can the surf community the ocean lovers the ocean users come together to like make change and whether we're coming at it from an industry level like how can we help bring in the surf industry forward into you know into the future with all of the amazing work that the Patagonia company has done how do we help inspire the rest of the industry to come along with us on that journey or you come at it from the roots level and say how do we talk to surfers to stand up for what they believe in and what they love um well that's really interesting yeah and I guess you know with the sort of environmental movement and yeah, sort of social justice and all those sort of things that are becoming more and more important all the time one i guess one thing that's fairly well established is you can't kind of just tell people what they can't do yeah that doesn't work you can you can bombard people with stats and kind of a bit of doom mongering or whatever reality is another word for it but that isn't necessarily how how do you inspire people what's that sort of key to yeah it's it's almost like it's it's not like you you don't want to be against everything you want to be for for something and for us like as surfers the most important thing that we're for is for the ocean for protecting waves protecting water quality like i'm sure you'll you know you'll connect with hugo um at the summit if anyone has the chance to to go but you know we're we're for supporting the ngos 
for standing up for your rights as an individual and coming together to make change, both from a sort of roots level and from the top down. Because we can all go beach cleaning from now until eternity and it won't actually stop the plastic, for example, coming in the ocean. So how do we like stop it from the top coming in, a system change, as well as like individuals like, you don't just feel like you're the small grain of sand on the beach with your efforts of, you know, I'll do my recycling. Yeah. And you just feel like a worthless speck in the beach where system change as opposed to sort of personal abstinence or self-denial which yeah, is yeah really... it's like we all want to go surfing we all want to travel like we, but you want to just be conscious about the decisions and okay you might you know we're not all driving teslas but you might choose not to, to do a transatlantic flight when actually we could have an adventure close to home like surfers are fantastic at traveling around the world probably got amazing carbon f- footprints yeah we're all we love all that stuff we love the products we buy we buy the next everyone wants a new surfboard like we're great at the consumption and we sort of we believe the hype do you know what I mean we love all that stuff but you just got to be a bit smarter about your choices I think and and I think the surf industry as a whole probably has a, a long way to go on that um, just going back a little bit on your journey you mentioned Hugo Tagholm before he's he's running Surfers Against Surge which are you know doing doing great with their campaign you've been involved with those guys pretty much since day dot no since come back to the early 90s yeah. tell us a little bit about that journey. I was like super old school I was a little teenager like 16 year old wannabe pro surfer and I first met the surf skating sewage guys in Hartlepool it's like pretty grotty beach <laughs> even on northeast standards it's like a grotty beach and it's like you're doing a demo for the press by the sewage pipe about raw sewage going in the water but at the time it was like the thing was you turn up in gas masks for your press call shouting and screaming rah, we want UV treatment rah, 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 rah. and at the time so from a young surf at that sort of pivotal age of like the young teens where you see these guys turn up in gas masks like shouting and screaming creating a hoo-ha I thought these guys are absolutely awesome like I love love the love the vibe of these guys they're coming at it from a different point of view and, and people from the outside from the southwest were coming up the northeast telling us like you guys should take note of what the water companies are doing in your area and they had these amazing tactics way ahead of the time where they would buy shares in water companies and then go in as a shareholder to the AGM meeting and suddenly put the environmental case forward. And now this is becoming a lot more mainstream and there's like shareholders are having more sway with, you know, the huge oil companies were having more sway. You've got power in your pension part if you're looking to have a pension. And, you know, shareholders do have a sort of sway and the world is moving in that direction, but this is going back, I don't know, like 20, 30 years. And I think the Hugo has taken that fight way beyond the beaches. He's gone to the House of Parliament. Uh, he's, you know, he's in he's in the House of Parliament with a all um, parliamentary group of um, MPs on side. And he's trying to drive change from the top down, as well as inspiring regional reps around the country to be the army on the beaches. And water quality overall in Britain, are we, have we moved on many? Have we gone far since the 90s? You'd, you'd, li- you'd like to say we have, and I was for a while I was like, oh, we're done with water. You know, sewage is like a thing from the past, but actually it's not the case at all. Like, I don't know, recently this summer, I think especially Southern Water, I got really blitzed for their record on um, spills. Um, they got fined, the biggest fines ever. Um, yeah, we it's not a done deal it's not a done deal for sure but you know that we've i'd argue we've got bigger concerns we've got 
climate crisis coming, which is like yeah. it's going to make water quality yeah. like minor in comparison to what's kind of incoming. I feel. Yeah, yeah, but there's I also been reading some stuff about the rivers recently, which is pretty grim. And a lot of that's to do to do with ag- agriculture, particularly animal husbandry. But a lot of drinking water comes from uh, comes from the rivers as well. So yeah, lots of work I guess to be done on water quality, but. I get you. I see your point compared to sort of the overall sort of collapse of the living, <laughs> Earth's living <laughs> systems. A bit of poo in, in the lineup, which is not yeah. ideal, but yeah. yeah we'll I, deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about. Um, you, you mentioned being with Patagonia, what the brand's about, and I guess a lot of people will know they're kind of, you know, the, the brand's been quite iconic for making products kind of more sustainable, kind of thinking about these things for a long time before but kind of became like chic in, in more recent years um particularly we want to talk about wetsuits because i think that's a really interesting topic i think you know people like a lot of people will be into the idea of buying things that are made of some sort of post-consumer recycled plastic or these kind of things are all great but I, i'm really interested in the in the wetsuit thing um and i i guess most of us don't realize we all know our, our boards are made from oil everyone kind of knows that or, or most of our boards are unless you you got your hemp or your you know whatever it is your cork going but wetsuits they're a little bit nasty themselves yeah it's a proper minefield like and i'm like privileged in that i know so much about it but i don't know there's a whole obviously like material science you can go down this like journey to get the materials that you want like wetsuits it's like we've all got one winter suit summer suit probably spare winter suit one from last year one in the garage like you can't recycle them there's a couple of like nearly there's like up, a little bit of upcycling happening there is a couple of recycling programs that we're looking at but they're not quite like full circle public facing like we can like recycle internally with our products that we've got that come back to us but it's not like if you have a suit in your garage as a as a surfer you can't just go and drop it off and it gets mashed into a smoothie and gets turned into a new wetsuit so the yeah. question is like we haven't really got an end of life for wetsuits we want to make wetsuits that last really well because obviously we all love a lovely, fresh, new, stretchy wetsuit. But then, if a year's time the wetsuit fails, it's like you're good, and what you do with the old wetsuit. So it's like about longevity and design and repairability. So you got to build in uh, repairability into the design of the suit. So there's a few things you can do, like at the top end. So it's like repairability. So for example, say it could be your chest zip snags the designers have come up with a, a suit where you can just replace the zip without deconstructing the whole suit you repair the zip the zip is good boom you're back in the water so there's like loads of things you can do and that brands obviously should be thinking about doing that maybe wouldn't come to mind as a you walk into a surf store i'm going to buy this suit that suit i love the color the latest marketing hype but there's like built-in things about like you know the first point of failure in the suit like how do you stop it happening so your suit lasts another season longer two seasons longer but then when you get down the nitty-gritty of what goes into the suit that's like where it gets pretty complicated because we all want a suit that's close fitting doesn't get doesn't bag out after a couple seasons is like survives the uv it's toasty warm it's super flexible all of those like you know the construction of this good wetsuit is a really difficult thing to get right of all the products you can think of like i want a tight fitting waterproof da 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 suit that's going to last like and oh and we'll add on like eco-friendly 
it's really really tricky to get to get right but what um patagonia has been doing is they've been doing like years and years of research over a decade of research with the ulex corporation which is that they're specialists in natural rubber so the biggest ingredient within the foam of a suit is traditionally neoprene which comes from petrochemicals or limestone base and the ulex corporation as an independent company have given us the formula or that which we've shared with the rest of the industry to use a natural rubber as the biggest ingredient of the wetsuit and that is from fsc certified rainforest in sri lanka at the minute and that is literally the green the tree grows you almost cut the sap from the tree and the sort of glutinous resiny sap comes in a little pot that gets transformed into a uh, natural rubber which then gets shipped off to the factory which gets blended into your wetsuit sort of foam the, the three four mil thickness of foam and then either side of the three four mil thickness of foam you're going to have recycled liners as standard you'd hope um and you can add in like water-based glues and and dyes like the dyeing process if you want lots of colors it's going to be a high intensity use of water and energy or if you want you know, solution dyed which is like saves you lots of water and energy so there's all of these these sort of filters you can put on your sustainability of a suit um and that's been our goal is but build the most sustainable suit and as a you know from the surf industry the uptake has been niche at best i'd say yeah on on this phenomenal technology yeah. it's like years and years of r&d phenomenal it's the only answer we've got at the minute. I'm not, we're not saying it's perfect. You've still got to add in lots of other horrible chemicals to make the foam. Yeah. But when you look at like the big brands that could like change the dial on this, I think we've seen Billabong launch their first two Ulex styles this year. And the other big brands are like nowhere to be seen. And hats off to all of the smaller brands. Or, you know, the brands that are taking the risk, taking the effort. I mean, I could shout out a few, but there's like obviously Finisterre have gone 100% Ulex. There's um, Surface, I think Picture have touched on it. You know, it's not just a Patagonia thing like we want to sell more wetsuits, we want the surf industry to change. We want all the brands to step on board and like get this moving because the negatives are ultra negative. Well, I just, yeah, I just want to just t touch on them um, because obviously, yeah, like you said, as surfers, you, everyone's got a certain amount of money. They want the stretchiest suit available at the moment that feels like some one of the big brands it's probably made well it certainly is made from oil and the traditional kind of neoprene how bad is that i mean this is stuff that's generally getting made in 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 china or the far east that we probably don't know much about but some of the production even how the raw material is made is pretty yeah so basically a lot of the the neoprene chloroprene as it's known is made in louisiana in america right so around one of the big chloroprene production facilities in America, um, they basically called the area Cancer Alley because around the factory is the highest cancer cluster in the whole of America. So we're not talking about Far East factories where, oh, you know, it would never happen yeah, on, in, the, in West. the Western world. Yeah. Like we've, our standards would never drop that low. The, you know, we wouldn't let that happen in our, on our doorstep. It's happening in Louisiana, and this has been really well documented. The surf industry haven't really talked about this at all, even though I'm pretty sure they sh they should all be aware of it because it's been on CNN and the Guardian have done this phenomenal, phenomenal like in-depth story on the area. 
Um, but the surf industry's like ducking, you know, it's like ducking for cover on this issue. Like, so, and it's not just neoprene made in this factory. Lots of other fabrics are made in this factory. It's like a full like chemical, you know, petrochemical like zone. Uh, but around these one, this particular factories of chloroprene, it's a super high risk area if you were living in the resident uh, if you were a resident in the area and obviously it's like a lot of like minority groups of the residents of the area yeah and yeah and we don't think about any of this stuff in fact when you go to if you go to your average surf shop today i mean there's a kind of like a pop expression like we can't kind of consume our way out of trouble whatever i think everyone wants to try and do the right thing and people if given a choice between buying something that's maybe made in a way that's not great and having an you know you, you see a wet season they might have a little a little tree on it or you know someone hugging yeah, totally. and a, a little swing tag and Tr- brown, hug a tree this this wetsuit hugged a tree brown before. cardboard and it, there, there'll there's some gestures i say gestures there are some offers there for you to say recycle this or 100 percent, and it sounds good and you go oh, i'll buy this i'm actually i'm actually saving the planet but i think what a lot of us and myself included don't realize is it's like a really toxic kind of quite nasty thing that you're that you're putting on and you sort of depend on I mean we all well, kind of need especially wetsuit. in Europe like okay if you're lucky enough to live in the Caribbean or Hawaii you might wear a wetsuit top but we are like wetsuits year round top to toe north to southern Europe we're in wetsuits so it's like it, a lot of it's on us and you know like you say we're fortunate to be able to buy winter suits and summer suits but you know like you say about the sort of that's probably what grinds me the most is I think all the surf industry knows there's a way out of it which is there's a significant you know a significant cost it's probably like a percentage cost like a 15 percent percentage cost maximum on switching your suit to a ulex suit which this is at like production factory level not it doesn't have to be passed on to the consumer at the end the surfer at the end like the citizen surfer doesn't have to pay that bill but the company's got to be prepared to absorb a little bit of the cost to do the right thing um that's okay so you've got a little bit of a material cost extra but then what really grinds me about the surf injury is when like you say the little tags and the little labels like lean towards this sort of sustainability sort of they spin it like they're doing the right thing but if you're just talking about hey some of the recycle this recycled content in the line of the suit it's a pretty weak statement and to be honest a lot of it's like clouding the facts and if the brands are clouding the facts then how does a surfer who walks in the door of a shop or browses online it's a complete minefield so even when i'm in like i'll i'll see like information come in oh so and so have launched a new suit and i'd like have to dig into it really deeply to actually like dissect the spiel and cut between it and say actually well okay they've, they've got the recycled fabric brilliant they've got water-based glue brilliant that's a cleaner glue they've got a solution dye or dope dye fabrics that's brilliant but hey the majority of his suits are still petrochemical or um based it's it's a massive loss because the biggest ingredient is the one that we can make a change on that we know we can make change on and it's, it's like all of the other bits have the icing on the cake yeah not the physical like flour and dough and the filling of the cake yeah well to use the sort of michael gove analogy is he sort of for once he sort of came up with quite a good point he's talking about what they're doing around the edges of fields as what policy agricultural policy has all been about what they're doing around the edges but what actually goes on in, in the, the field itself is, acreage, yeah, yeah, yeah. is kind of like the key that's thing that's literally it yeah. shout out to Gove for um, actually Ooh. once said, <laughs> said something that people can kind of get behind I, I, that was just a, I can't a, believe I agree with him a rare moment for him um, how how do we not get 
I mean, obviously, most people don't have kind of degrees in 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 chemistry or this sort of thing. So, apart from getting you know getting informed and just finding out a little bit more about it, we're hoping to shed a bit of light here. Obviously, do get your tickets to Blue Earth Summit. Get along and listen to Gabe and a bunch of other people that got to say do get informed. But just overall, the more we kind of find out about some of the kind of threats and and opportunities, but but mainly threats to our sort of you know the Earth's kind of natural system. How do we not get sort of depressed or down? You know, like know. It, does, it does seem to be like an endless. Like the more oh. you look into it, it does seem the like, more you go like, fucking hell. Like I'd love to get. <laughs> I can't even go surfing now without feeling like it's like a pang yeah. of guilt. Like, oh yeah. god, I didn't buy that current season really expensive <laughs> eco suit. Like oh no, <laughs> I bought the cheap one. Ah, it's a disaster. It's only got a recycle fabric. I mean, it's just. I think it's just knowledge, isn't it? And I think like once you figure out what's available then you can make the right decisions and if okay if it's not the right time for you to buy the right decision then and your favorite brands are not like backing the latest technology like give them a nudge do you know what i mean like you can give a shout out and say like hey i've been surfing your suits my entire life like you can like stand up and i think it will make a difference like if someone's like i don't know like really stood up for what they believe in, like you're my favorite brand but hey look i can't be dealing with your suits because you're, you're failing on these points like I don't know, like, I'd like to think that might make a difference. Probably wouldn't, to be honest. But And just thinking of surfers overall, I guess sort of traditionally, about surf culture, it was always like a little bit counterculture in the 60s or, you know, whenever. It kind of hit, got a bit bigger. It was it was sort of, it was always a bit other. And then in the 70s, maybe a little bit of the environmental movement came in and, and, yeah, people were maybe a little bit at the forefront and a bit of, sort of early, early uptake vegetarianism or things like that. Overall, how would you sort of score surfing now? Because it's hard not to think of it as the sort of bastion of like kind of predatory capitalism, acquisitiveness. Yeah, totally. Like we all want to have massive quivers of boards. We want every bit of gear, flights to the mentalize, airstrips, you know, both. <laughs> like it almost feels like we, well, we, hit, we, yeah. we sort of traditionally viewed ourselves as a solution, but we might actually sort of be the... Oh, I think we're super selfish. Like, I want my way by myself without anyone else on the peak. Like, it's a super sort of selfish sport, but I think but what drew me to it when I was a little kid was that counterculture, because I was in the northeast and everyone's loving football, and I was like, the minute you stepped in the ocean, it was like, oh my God, there's a different world. Like, it's a different world from what I was seeing on land, and you felt like you're part of a secret club, and it is not that now. Like, it's ultra mainstream. And that's where I think... the pressure is on the brands to lead the way out of it because there's proven ways out of it like you know Patagonia like you said Patagonia doing organic teas before it was a thing and the price of teas went up and but sure enough the sales of the t-shirts went up like if you go down if you go down that journey I think the people will come with you but it's often but yeah it's like the clouding of the information that's the problem to me within the industry because the industry should know better but then at the same time I get that like a lot of the industry is like scratching around for its own jobs, you know what I mean? Because the industry's had such a contraction over the last few years because it's been so brutal. But you can flip that around and say, actually, well, the COVID lockdown years has been phenomenal for Wessex sales and hardware sales and board sales and bike sales and tent sales because we're all at home, locked in. You're spending money on your, on your toys or whatever. You're nice to have things. So there's been this boom in hardware sales across all the brands. Like, how good would that be to translate that into, like let's use this use this momentum to like flip surfing from this like ultra consumerism sport which we all love to being like the forefront of 
enviro product like sustainability product push and use all of this force of the massive amount of surfers the power of the surf industry to really make change at system level that's probably what i would love to see happen and in terms of people getting informed i suppose you know don't maybe don't take your don't take all of your users your primary source corporations with with shareholders who are essentially using these very they're very good at what they do kind of marketing and advertising kind of machinery do your own research the internet's out there it's 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 free and you know there's there's a whole load of info out there just kind of get informed and you kind of at least you can make an informed choice we're not always going to do the best things all yeah, of the time but you can kind of get a handle on where exactly you are and, and where exactly. you are exactly i think one of the, the one of the most inspiring things that i've been part of or i had a glimpse into was the fight for the bike campaign that came from patagonia australia so for anyone that hasn't heard of the story, but basically it's like Southern Australian Bite Coast, a lot of uh, big oil companies were going into going in for drilling. Right, Equinor, the Norwegian state-owned, yeah, yeah so used the, to be Stat Oil. So the yeah. big one was Equinor. So a few of the smaller ones came in and went out, but the local surfers down there stood up as well as all the coastal communities, and they were making such a big headache in Australia that Equinor were probably just like, oh my god, and they sit in Norway going, oh, it'll go away, it'll go away, we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it, but then. What to me is probably the most like powerful seven minutes of su- of surfing ever was probably done by Heath Josk in the AGM in at the Equinor HQ. So he stood up for seven minutes and spoke to the entire shareholder room, like auditorium of shareholders, the board of directors, and he pitched the case from the surfers, the fishermen, the tourism, the you know the full like community coastal communities of Southern Australia at the AGM in Norway and basically they never really admitted it but that was one of the key points and he's part of a wider coalition of WWF and um, you know indigenous peoples like there's loads there was like pensioners investment funds you know there's loads of people that were like saying Equinor should like watch where it's going in the future and like you know um, like be really I know, change the way it's working so it becomes a future energy industry, not just an oil industry. Industry. So anyway, Heath stood up in the AGM and and spoke for seven minutes with so much passion that sure enough, like the following year, Equinor pulled out of the Australian bite. I mean, this is like a phenomenal thing where you'd think like one person could make it. Not it's one person, but he was like the to me he was like envisaged the whole. He was the the spokesman for the whole campaign in a way yeah and he took it to them and, and he made change and they pulled out of drilling and so was everyone else since and shout out to old mate sean doherty as well did a lot of good sean stuff on that primo so. i mean he yeah. goes in like his instagram sean's instagram is phenomenal and he it's very like focused on australian you know in your head you think australians is like plentiful paradise but it's like at the minute they're having a really tough time they've had the fires they've got drilling they've got gas issues it's like they're they're in crazy lockdowns like it they're having a tough time but sean just cuts through it all and just goes in like (laughs) like for the jugular and he's brutally honest and um yeah he helped drive a lot of that campaign so activism does work can can we go and find out about, I mean, I know Patagonia is sort of involved with it. There's a, there's a few issues it sort of takes up, like particularly in kind of champions' causes to do with, 
I know there's in Europe there's been um, some stuff around rivers and kind of damming and hydroelectricity and stuff like that. Where where can people go and find out what kind of things Patagonia are, are up to in terms of campaigns yeah, and activism? There's a website called Patagonia Action Works. So it's, it sits within our website. Um, basically, that's a full platform so that whatever your interest is, okay, we're probably coastal people or rivers people, you know, we love the ocean and the water. So you can almost like go on the website, you can filter in where, which country you're from, what you sort of interests are, like I'd love to help protect the oceans. And within this website, you can connect with the NGOs that are part of the 1% for the planet um, donation group, the NGOs. And, and quite often they'll, they can do skill volunteering. So if you're a media expert, you could look look through the website and go oh this so-and-so group you know serves against sewage environment they're looking for someone who's shout out for media it could be an accountant could be a lawyer could be anything like that so this website become almost a, a hosting platform for the ngos to reach out or it could be hey throw them five euros or we've got an event going you know it could be anything as small or as large as you want it to be but there's a lot of it's quite interesting ways of interacting you know it could be the skilled volunteering bit is really interesting so if you've got a skill and a and uh, that can match an NGO. Hey, I'd love to go to the Alps, but I'm stuck in Barcelona, but you could still remotely work for these guys in the Alps. You know, there's like loads of things where you can like get connected remotely or interact with the groups that are really passionate about what they do and that know the, that know the problems and, and also know the solutions. Like I think you, we don't want to say it's all negative. It's like these are guys are like taking steps forward. So Patagonia Action Works is, is one way to like get a bit more involved or if there's something you're super passionate about just dive in like you know you don't have to start your own NGO like there's expert NGOs out there get involved with those guys and just give those guys a lift um so Blue Earth Summit's coming up in just over a couple of weeks you you, you how's your public speaking you you relishing <laughs> you relishing the opportunity to stand up in front of loads of people oh, it's like with super nerve-wracking isn't it I'm kind of hoping it's like lockdown vibes and there's no one in the room is that going to be allowed Maybe it's like just three around the table and it'll be a fine. Big Zoom chat. We'll have yeah. just a beer and we'll all be yeah. cool. And you don't see loads of people. But, you know, I think I am really looking forward to seeing a lot of the other speakers. And if there's a little bit... I think Pagani's got this phenomenal body of work. Gone way, way before my time. Way beyond the oceans. Like, you're talking about all... Like, you mentioned rivers. It's like fish farms, salmon farms damming of rivers, hydro, hydroelectricity, uh, community energy, before you even talk about organic cotton, recycled products, da -da, all the product stories, like all fair trade, like it's just phenomenal like work that they've done that even if a little bit can be passed on, that's brilliant. And if anyone's got, has a particular interest, it's all, a lot of it's very transparent and it is on the website. It's not, if you dig into the website, it's not about buying t-shirts and this and that. It's like, there's actually so much backstory to everything where the products get made who makes the products fair trade certification is incredibly amazing again it's for wetsuits so or again we'll go back to wetsuits again all of the surf brands that get their suits made in shaco factory can also be fair trade certified of which there's only one brand in the world that does it but it's like everyone gets suits made in that factory and no brand stepped up to be fair trade certified of which that's about one or two percent extra cost it's like you're talking like pennies or cents it's not even a dollar 
This is all fascinating. It's pretty radical stuff. Like when you dive into it, it's yeah. like it's a minefield. It's it's super interesting. Lots of stuff like this and lots more to educate yourself about and just find out a little bit about what's really going on. Blue Earth Summit. It's going to be in Bristol 13th and 14th. Get your tickets on the website. They're going fast. Check out Gabe Davies and a bunch of other really fascinating speakers on those days. I'm looking forward to it myself. Gabe, thanks a lot for joining us on the show. It's been a pleasure. Um, I hope we haven't, you know, used up too much of your, of your, of your, of your, of your gold for the day. <laughs> you still got, I reckon you got loads in the tank I'll, still. I'll probably have to filter it out. I'll not get too sweary. Um, no, it should be. I'm super interested. Honestly, thanks for the opportunity. Lovely chatting, and uh, yeah, let's um, dive into it. Sounds awesome.